0: Yeah. I love that whole vibe about like, cause I'm a, it, some people don't hike girl, but I'm an early morning hiker. So for me, like getting up at like, <laughs> and the shoe got up a little bit later than I did, but like getting up at four, four 30 in the morning. And like, I usually have my stuff packed the night before, but like getting dressed, getting the coffee and like knowing that I'm in for sort of a day of you know it's going to be a long day of working out and then getting in the car driving to the trailhead like and doing that by yourself like not a lot of there's not that many people that do solo hiking and like you got to be a special kind of lunatic to be like okay I'm going to drive off to a trailhead by myself in freezing cold weather like I could relate to that so well and I I just was like immersed in like her process of getting ready in the morning cuz I've done it so many times
1: mm I hate it. I love it. I absolutely hate it.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm a morning Uh, person anyway, but I love it. Crack of noon, I'll roll out, and I'm I'm not afraid of headlamps. It cracks me up when people get scared about the sun going down. Like we have headlamps, you're going to be okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm not scared of the sun going down. I'm scared of like my wife being like, "You need to get your ass home and cook dinner." (laughs) that's really funny oh
1: boy
2: from the Woodpecker's studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
0: You ready for, uh, I guess this is round three, right, Ty?
3: Yes, it is. How many viewers did you lose the uh, last time? After
0: I we was... didn't, we've been growing
3: <laughs> steadily. <laughs> okay.
0: Exponential. Yeah, we owe you. We owe you a beer or something. So. Yeah, but, okay. um, Stomp episode fifty-three here. Welcome so back. Slasher goes to the movies.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, we're going to take you guys out to a, a matinee
0: at a theater near you. Can I say that I was thinking about? So I went to the. So we're going to talk about. Um, Infinite Storm tonight for the listeners but um, I I went to the movie storm for the first time. I was trying to think back when the last time I went to the movies was and I was it was um, The Greatest Showman which came out in 2017 so that was the last time. Maybe I've gone to I might have gone to one or two Marvel movies in between there but I'm pretty sure The Greatest Showman was the the last movie I went to so that's five years. That's quite a while ago. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> you mean you didn't go out to the movies during COVID?
0: <laughs> no, no, I didn't, but it's like it's interesting the movies have changed so they have these nice recliners now, which is great. Um but it's super stressful in the beginning like you know how they do the previews? Yeah. They they have apps now, so you're supposed to download an app so that you can play like asteroids on the on the movie screen. Have you oh, seen Come those? on, really? Oh, that's pretty clever actually. Yeah. And they also have um like an app where you can do trivia. So I was like, they're like, you got to download this app. And then I'm like downloading the, the video game app mm-hmm. and I'm waiting for it to go because I wanted to play Asteroids on the movie screen. You have to like hold the phone up like this and then you, you do the laser thing. So by the time I downloaded the app, like the video game was over. So I was like, all right, well, I'll play the video game like next time. But then like the next time they were like, okay, interact with the screen. It was like, you had to download a trivia, a trivia app. Oh goodness. So then like the trivia was, and I knew all the questions because I always know all the questions for trivia, but you're too I busy was downloading, downloading the stuff. app. <laughs> and by the time I finished downloading the app, I missed all the trivia. So I was like so stressed out before the movie started. <laughs> it
2: was like, it was very difficult. So I don't know. Have you
0: guys gone to the movies lately? You know what I'm talking about?
3: Uh, I've, well, I've been to, I've been to Infinite Storm and then I, just can't remember the last time I, I've been to the movies. Before that,
1: yeah, I told you my story. I think about coming back to the movies and seeing um, Tenet by Christopher Nolan, and um, it was when the movie theater just opened up after you know the height of the pandemic. And the the weirdest thing in the world, all the movie posters were from like two years ago, frozen oh, wow. in time. It was like a history piece. Yeah, it was amazing, super weird. So, that was pretty neat, though. like, wow, everything just froze.
0: Yeah, I was saying to my wife, like, I definitely want to, like, I feel like movie, like, there's a place for movie. Like, I also, like, when the malls close, like, I don't want movies to completely go away, but it's just very difficult to, like, get the motivation to, to, um to get out and and go to the movies but the one thing I did notice is like anytime I'm watching a movie at home like there's way too many distractions like the phone is just calling so it was nice to actually go to the movies and be told like you cannot put your phone out and you know you have to really just sort of check out for 90 minutes or two hours to just immerse yourself in the film which was which was a lot different than what I've experienced in watching it at home true true yeah good point Um, but Stomp we got some notes here so keeping it on the movie topic um we get an update on the will smith slap do you want to share that with the audience
1: uh in terms of him uh resigning from the academy yeah yeah, yeah it's your note oh yeah well i didn't expound upon it enough i guess see look at that <laughs> and then next to it next to the note, the note it says mental health reminders
0: <laughs> well that's it so like because we're going to be talking about mental health oh, and i boy. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of like over the, like the humorous piece of it. And I'm like yeah. more interested in sort of the, you know, the mental, so we're going to talk about mental health, um, tonight. And, you know, for me, like the Will Smith situation is an example of like somebody that I'm assuming, you know, I don't know him. I don't know his family situation. I can speculate cause he's a public figure, but you know, something must have been off with him to, to react that way. I would assume like what, what makes somebody snap like that?
1: Yeah, and then his his speech after the fact was somewhat odd to me uh, with the crying and everything else. I mean, I don't know. Um, Mental health reminders, I guess, being aware and just observing people and being able to recognize when there may be an issue with somebody's mental health, I think that um, may have been my little note there. But, yeah, I mean, everybody knows now that he's, uh, he's out of the academy, which is probably a smart thing. At this point, probably to save his career.
0: Yeah. I wonder, like, um, I know hiking, obviously, for us, is like that that sort of presser, pressure relief valve. And yeah. I wonder, like, this guy has, like, been working nonstop in the movies and, like, been been a celebrity for his whole life. I just wonder, like, does he not have that pressure release valve that a lot of people develop by, you know, their hobbies and interests? You know, maybe he's maybe we've we'll, we got to take him hiking or something.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I tend to doubt that. I mean, these people are on vacation half the, half the year, it seems, if you follow their uh, their social
0: media and whatnot. But, yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. But um, next next thing here we have for notes is River Dave is back in the news. This guy is a handful of stomp. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So what's going on now? For the listeners who haven't been paying attention, we've been following this story for probably about, since the show started. So there's a guy that, um, was apparently squatting on a piece of land on the Merrimack river. I don't know exactly what town it is, but he, you know, apparently he's been living there for like 25, 30 years. He had, he had claimed that he got permission from the landowner to be there. He didn't own the land. Um, and I don't think it's zoned for any development or anything like that, but eventually like he became known to some people in the Merrimack river and, um, Somehow the town that he was in became aware that he was there. They notified the actual landowner who ended up being like the brother of the person that supposedly gave Riverdale permission to be there. And um, the town, apparently the town had told the landowner landowner that like, you know, they could change the, the tax situation could be changed for him because there's somebody living there. And so the, eventually the landowner was like, look, this guy has to go. He was arrested, um, kicked off the land by the police, and then it became like a viral story sometime around, I don't know, Christmas. And some very rich guy that owns a company in New Hampshire like stepped in and gave like $150,000 to him to buy a new home. There was like a Facebook group. There was fundraisers to, to give him money. And you know this guy, he's was married, had four kids decided to just basically check out a society. He was essentially a hermit. And, you know, he got a lot of attention. I think that he appreciated like people stepping up for him. But at the end of the day, like this guy just wanted to be on that piece of property. So, you know, sure enough, like regardless of all the money situation and all that, he ended up back at that property and was again arrested. So he was building another homestead there. And um, yeah, so- I don't know where things are at now as far as like I think he got arrested. He's probably out again, but I, I it's there's a whole big social media drama going on over it too. So, it's just interesting. Right. Yeah, he was facing daily fines uh, according to the judge, the judge's yeah. order. Yeah. So again, it's like another person that like he was married, had four kids, but at some point he decided to just sort of drop out of society. And I think a lot of people sort of thought like, okay, let's just give him money. It's going to solve whatever his issues are. He clearly just doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't really care about the money as much as he cares about like he wants to be on that property. And it is like, it's interesting, like I'm in this Facebook group around the support for him and it's like, and Ty, I'd be curious to get your, your take on this. Cause I see this with like this guy, River Dave, like there's a whole bunch of drama around people that are like stepping in to help. There's GoFundMes, there's all this sort of like involvement from outside people. And I see this with the Mara Murray case as well, is that like, there's this private people get entangled in these stories and you know, it becomes this sort of weird thing around, um, you know, who do you trust? Who's really looking out for the best interest of the people involved versus like people that are just sort of looking to be kind of busybodies. But I don't know. I was thinking about you tie around that because one of the things you need to do when your work is to sort of build trust with like law enforcement and people that, you know, are going to trust that you're going to be out for their best interest. So I don't know what your thoughts are around that.
3: Yeah. I, um, Hmm. I think it, it, they're challenging situations just because, I mean, the natural reactions to want to help uh, and to support a cause. Then the question comes down to, does the source want that level of support and attention brought to them? I, I think that's the difficult part. And then, as you said, you know, we see countless examples of, um, scam like behavior of people taking advantage of situations not necessarily the the people that are in need of help and support but others on the periphery that look at this as a as a way to gain so um yeah it's, they're just not easy
0: yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, like, I, well, as a matter of fact, this weekend I went to um, this, like, fundraiser hockey game with my friends in law enforcement. And it was all, like, different, like, New York City law enforcement versus, like, Boston law enforcement for, like, a fundraiser. And it was kind of weird. Like, I just sort of, like, I have a lot of friends that are in law enforcement, and they all sort of have that. I think most people are sort of, like, trusting Just by default. And I also work for a tech company that does security. So I'm I'm exposed maybe to a little bit more than than most around this idea of like zero trust. Like a lot of people just sort of have a default to say, like, I'm not going to give trust about things. Whereas I think, you know, most people just sort of like by default will will be trustworthy, but it must be, you know, sort of difficult to crack through that law enforcement, like to make sure that they they trust that you're going to do the right thing as far as whatever you're interacting with them on so
3: right hmm.
0: yeah so anyway um but river dave will keep everybody updated and dated and see what happens with him but uh the next thing i had here stomp was um eastern mountain sports so we did confirm that that was the real deal so yeah um thank you for them for their their coffee donation pretty cool yeah not a troll yes yeah exactly and then, uh, Snob, you said we had a listener that updated us. We were talking about mountain bike trails in um, North Conway. I think there's, there's a set of trails behind, like Walmart and that area there. So you said somebody, yeah. a listener, gave us an update. Yep. Sarah
1: Holby tells us that they are the quarry trails or east side. And uh, you can either park in the Walmart parking lot or just pass the turn to Walmart. There's a kiosk with more parking. They are also building a multi-use recreational trail from that lot up to Cranmore that will be a paved trail. Uh, I guess there's also a bunch of new downhill mountain biking trails off of Hurricane Mountain Road that they've built and more are under construction. So that's pretty neat.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, North Conway is actually a really cool area. There's... um, there's like three different bike shops there. Actually, there's like four different bike shops. I think there is um, the bike shop, which is right outside of that um, Walmart area there. They, they have like, you know, road bikes and mountain bikes. There's Red, Red Jersey Cycler, Cyclery, I can't say that word, which is right in downtown North Conway. And then you got Bob and Terry's, and then there's also Stan and Dan's. So yeah. if you're looking to get into biking, any of those four places in North Conway, I go to all of them, and they're uh, they're great. Narii is there too, and in I don't know if Eastern Mountain Sports does bikes either, but there, there's a lot of options.
1: Very good, very good. We also have uh, this input from Chris Haley uh, regarding the green dot when we take our pictures of you know bright uh, vistas and whatnot. So if you if you're perplexed by the green dot, he suggests downloading Snapseed, which is a photo editing app. And all you have to do is uh, select a uh, a feature called Healing from the Tools menu. Zoom in far enough so the green dot is just a bit smaller, and then touch the green dot with the Healing tool, and voila, your green dot is gone. <laughs> so, thank you uh, for that uh, suggestion. We'll check it out. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that little that little tool. Yeah, awesome. Hey, how did uh, Mrs. Mike take the feedback from the last episode? She
0: hasn't listened yet. I told her not to listen to the show anymore. (laughs) But she's like, because I I was like, well, we have, I I reminded her, I was like, we have the voiceover guy that does the intro. (laughs) Don't listen. And then we do it late. And she's just like, it's just too long. Like, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't wait so long into the show. Yeah. And I told her, I was like, just Just
1: don't don't listen listen. anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Find a different
3: podcast. Mike, I think I remember the last episode we had had a conversation, and you had made a commitment that you were going to be stepping up more around the house and just being more helpful. And I kind of questioned it, and I just was wondering how that's going. It's been months.
0: Well, <laughs> I think I think my specific um, goal or my specific commitment was that I would make sure that I any clothes that go into the hamper are like not inside out including socks, which is tough. That's not easy. So I've been able to commit to that. But as you know, in in a marriage, oftentimes when you make a change like that, that becomes expected behavior. So any sort of like goodwill or credit that you get for that improved behavior sort of dissipates so that you have to go on to the next thing. So um, I think I got a little bit of goodwill for about a month, and now I'm in the doghouse again for various reasons, which, you know. I don't put a pillow back on the couch, whatever.
3: That have nothing to do with inside out socks, right? <laughs> <Yes. Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
2: So anyway,
0: um, but I'm working on it. Marriage is a journey. I'm 21 years in and uh, we're, we're going strong so far. Knock on wood. So Excellent. Great. Cool. All right. Um, so the next story here that we wanted to cover in the notes is uh, we have an update on the leaf blower guy. So a couple of episodes ago, we had talked about there's a young man hiking the Appalachian Trail. So right now is the time of the year where all of the, um, you know, all these excited through hikers make their way down to uh, Springer Mountain, Georgia, and they start the Appalachian Trail. Many of them make it the first, like, I don't know how many miles, um, to Neil's Gap, and then decide that that hiking is not for them. But some of them do make it through. And there is one gentleman this year that is carrying a leaf blower on the Appalachian Trail. So we, um, I got an update on him. I was, I'm friends with another guy that, um, I'll talk about in a moment. He had posted an article that the Trek did about the leaf blower guy. So I will post a link about the leaf blower guy in the, um, <coughs> Mike, we were on a
1: different. Before we started recording, we were on a different channel because I was talking about a different leaf blower guy. I don't know if you've seen this video. I just saw it maybe a little earlier today or yesterday. But um, this man sits on a a utility uh, bucket, like a water bucket, yellow bucket, and he has a leaf blower and an umbrella, and he powers this bucket. With the leaf blower, just pushing his leaf blower air against the umbrella, so he's zipping around town. I I don't know where the video is or what it's called, but you got to see it. It's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this guy, this leaf blower. Yeah, he's in in the in the article. They ask him like, "Why are you hiking with a leaf blower?" And he says it's a hard question to answer, but the main reason behind it is to get the leaf blower to Maine. So. Oh, this is like a legit mission fall. that this guy's on. For the foliage. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. So he he really didn't give much detail other than that he was on a mission. But um so he is so I'll link this article and his trail name is Leaf Blower.
2: And oh, then his
0: clever. Instagram account is Leaf Blower Blower. Oh, Leaf Blower is Leaf Blower. That's what it is. So you get a hit so his trail name is Leaf Blower. And then his Instagram is Leaf Blower's Leaf Blower. So the Instagram is basically the Leaf Blower's Instagram.
1: He's the Leaf Blower of Leaf Blower's. It's very simple.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, But the article also covers, so this (laughs) other guy that had um, hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2019 or 2020, his name is The Champ. So The Champ was a a pretty well-known thru-hiker. I followed him in uh, 2020, and he carried a wwe style wrestling wrestling belt on the entire appalachian trail hike and his trail name was the champ so he was a former military guy and he carried the um the belt so every picture he has on the appalachian trail is like him like holding a wrestling belt which is kind of (laughs) interesting so culture you may have to get him i think he's he's doing like a um a thru-hike in North Carolina right now, so we may have to get him on the show. He's he's a bit of a character, so I'll link the details about Leaf Blower and um, The Champ mm-hmm. so that we can look. And then, Stomp, we got one more thing before we do sponsors and coffee. I wanted to do a quick plug that um, I saw this posted somewhere. Outdoor Research, which is the clothing company and gear company, they have recently put out a plus-size collection for women, so like larger women uh, clothing. And I've heard i've heard a lot of comments about this in the past that like a lot of the um gear companies don't like target like plus size people so i think that this um, this collection goes up to like triple x for females so if you're looking for gear definitely where i don't think also a research is that cheap but definitely worth checking out for the size excellent Okay. You want to do your your sponsoring coffee? (laughs) I love dead
1: air. It makes you so uncomfortable. I hate it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we have some donations. Uh, Corey McMullen, our guest from last week, donated three. Thank you, Corey. That was a really nice episode. I uh, I enjoyed uh, that chat quite a bit. Um, Jeff donated five and he's a binger. He, he's a self-proclaimed slasher binger, so he's uh, going straight through all 50 episodes. Uh, let's see, someone, someone, we know who someone is, donated two, and uh, Jen Davis, she donated three in celebration of Mike's pronunciation skills of Belknap, so thank you, Jen Davis. It's uh much appreciated. Mike is doing good. He's working hard. Uh, English as a second language is, you know, it's coming along for Mike.
0: Yeah, I honestly, like before this podcast, I had no idea that, that, that <laughs> it, you pronounce it the Belknap. I always called it the Belknap. I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, neither did I.
1: <laughs> yeah, neither did I. And of course, we have uh, our sponsors <laughs> yes. at Reckless Brewing.
2: A special thank you to our sponsor, Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4,000 footers, and less than 10 minutes from the five corners. Visit them online at RecklessBrewing.com. R-E-K-L-I-S Brewing.com.
0: Perfect. So, um... I'll do the show intro, uh, show summary here, Stomp. So we are uh, welcome to episode 53 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. So last December, um, Slasher was honored to chat with author and speaker Ty Gagne about his books, Where You'll Find Me, The Last Traverse, um, and his shorter essays, including Emotional Rescue, The True Story of Pam Bales, an avid hiker and search and rescue volunteer who saves a man attempting to end his life on a frigid day. ...in the Northern Presidentials. As many of you know, Emotional Rescue was a viral sensation in print... ...eventually finding its way to Hollywood. On March 25th, three weeks ago, Ty's essay was released as a full-length motion picture... ...titled Infinite Storm, starring Oscar nominee Naomi Watts. Today, Ty has graciously returned to Slasher to give the inside scoop... ...on his recent mingling with Tinseltown. So we'll take a deep dive into the movie, the actors... Reality versus fiction on the big screen. We'll talk about Ty's life before and after the release and how he's navigated a novel interpretation of his original viral essay. Ty will also answer some listener questions and Stomp may even give some advice to Ty on how to handle managing um, interaction with fans and paparazzi on the trail. So Stomp's a little (laughs) bit famous now, so he can give you some advice, Ty.
3: That'll be helpful.
0: So,
1: maybe you not. Know, exactly. Don't get exactly. your hopes up.
0: Right. So, I'm Mike. <laughs> and I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right. Okay. So, um, famous guy. You drinking anything tonight? That's the Stomp. <laughs> oh, <my>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's two famous guys here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I was cruising around looking for a, a different brew so I could be hip like Mike, and I found... No doubt, it's called How Meow, and it had a picture of a tuxedo cat, and it looks identical to the executive producer. Oh, by the way, Ty, um, the assistant executive producer is heartbroken you're not here with me tonight, so he'll have to apologize and send some catnip or something. I don't know. Uh, So let's see. This is called How Meow. It's a porter, and um, it's made by Liar's Bench. And uh, it says here in the back... How meow, how long till midnight on our countdown, how arch the mischief in your eyebrow, how nights can linger sweet as cacao, how meow. Very, very fancy. What you
0: got rolling? I still have my uh, Aeronaut native land, so this is oh, still my one on beer a week. But one thing I did realize is I was calling it Arrow Brew. It's actually Bow and Arrow Brewing Company. Out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, but I feel like this is brewed locally for some reason. But yeah, um, it says Albuquerque, New Mexico, but it's good stuff. I like it. I just I don't drink beer that much. So gotcha. So, Ty, you drinking anything tonight?
3: Yes, I am drinking water. Um,
0: oh, out
3: double. of my Camelback <laughs> Mag <Magcap laughs> bottle. So not not so exciting here. Nice,
1: awesome. nicely done. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a good It's always couple. a good try to lose some weight, so I should be I should be doing the same.
3: I'm not sponsored by Camelback or anybody, <laughs> so that wasn't an endorsement of a product.
0: Oh, nice. Well, I like Camelback too. I I use those, so we'll give them a free plug here.
2: It's time for Slasher's guest of the week. Very cool. Very cool. So welcome back, Ty. So um
0: just to refresh the listeners, um, you know, when your, your previous experience or your previous appearance here, um, you know, I think when we talked to you, infinite storm was finishing up post-production. So can you talk a little bit about like what you've been up to since December and just sort of refresh the audience about your, your background a little bit?
3: Sure. Um, so since I was last on the episode, I, you know, continued to work and spend time with family and have really not had any involvement in the run-up to the film release. Um, so that's, you know, pretty much it.
0: Awesome. And so you, were you involved in like the premiere or press? You didn't do any press events or interviews or anything?
3: I No, I didn't. There was a red carpet event in New York, premiere event in New York City, I think it was April 24th, I didn't, I didn't go to that. Uh, instead, I watched the film, that the Red River Theater, which is a nonprofit movie theater in Concord, which is just a great spot. Um, they had the film on the same night as the premiere in New York City. So um, I was able to go with my wife and actually my, my um, climbing mentor, who was my elementary school teacher who taught me how to climb and went with he and his wife and it was it was just really it was just a great meaningful experience to be there you know with somebody who really turned my gaze to the mountains
0: yeah yeah that's that must cool. have been like sur- a surreal moment to to just see it on the screen
3: yeah it w- yeah it was it was yeah.
0: That's awesome. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. And we're gonna talk a lot about Infinite Storm. But I did want to. Uh, I give you a homework assignment before we get into it. Um, we're trying to prepare everybody for the upcoming summer. So um, I've been asking guests to sort of come up with a couple of ideas for or suggestions for awesome things to do in the White Mountains this summer. So um, we're putting you on the spot. and Did you pick? How many did you pick? One, two, or three?
3: I think I have a couple. Um, okay. One, the Squam Lakes Association owns uh two islands uh at least two on big squam lake moon and bowman islands and uh, i would highly recommend kayaking or canoeing reserving a campsite out there kayak kayaking or canoeing out and camping overnight on moon or bowman it's just an awesome experience
0: awesome and can you, uh, if you have like a kayak or canoe, you, you 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 can get in. Like, there's a boat ramp that you can you can access.
3: Yeah, right at uh, the Squam Lakes Association, and they they can. Re- I think they rent kayaks too. Um, yeah. So do you have to reserve? Yeah. And the, yeah, you do have to reserve the sites. There's a, and there are docks there, so if you have a you know motorized boat, you can you can park it there as well. But I would highly recommend um, the campsite on the western point of moon of moon island hmm. it's, just, it's beautiful you get to watch the, you can watch the um the sunset from there
1: excellent yeah my wife is a huge kayaker i've yet to i have kayaked of course but um i need to pick one up so we can enjoy that together but we'll yep. check it out
3: and then i think i my other one was uh the ridge pole trail from percival to cotton mountain just such a great hike
1: oh agree Beautiful.
0: Is that so? Is that where we went stop when we yes. did the? That was it. Yeah, yeah. When we
1: started, we started there and um, made our way over to uh, Morgan Percival. Then came down. Remember that big snowstorm was on the way, so we decided yeah. to cut it short. Oh, yeah. I now now here's a question for you, Ty. Uh, is that system closed right now because of mud season?
3: I have no. I don't know. That's a great question because they mm. tend to. They do tend to shut down in the spring for a bit.
1: Yeah. Okay. I thought that was one of the locations that may. But yeah, I agree, man. That that area is beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We had such an awesome hike that day. So, so Ty, we we me and Stomp did that like right before um, the, sort of the winter season. We we got we were like the last car up Sandwich Notch Road to start the hike, and we went. We we had a car spot, so we were able to do that. But uh, yeah, that's a great hike. But that that Squam Lake, I've never heard of that. So I'm gonna definitely gonna check that out. That's uh, he, you got two good ones there.
3: Yeah, that that camping on that either one of those islands is just a great experience.
0: Excellent, awesome. Yeah, and with a kayak, you can or a canoe, you can bring a lot of stuff with you too. Mm-hmm. Bring plenty of plenty of uh, food and, and drink. Cool. All right. Well, um, Ty, do you want to? Um, Give us a refresh on the story. So we're here tonight to talk about Infinite Storm. It was based on a short story that Ty had written that went viral. Uh, do you want to give a refresh on the uh, the story for us, Ty?
3: Sure. It was October 2010. Uh, Pam Bales, who's a member of the Pemi Valley Search and Rescue Team, one of the one of many volunteer search and rescue teams that we have in the state. Um, had been really anxious to get out in the mountains. There had been a series of weather systems that had moved through the area that had kept her um, out of high places. And she saw a a brief weather window uh, and committed to going, left her itinerary with two members of the team, um, which is a great move, Uh, arrived at Ammanusik Ravine, started the hike uh, up, um, Jewel Trail. And uh, the further up Jewel that she ascended, the, the more winter became prevalent and got up onto the ridgeline. Uh, very low cloud ceiling, uh, frozen fog, uh, some wind at that point, and started to move uh, northward toward Mount Washington with a plan that if she was going to bail out, she would either turn around, which is, you know, an obvious bailout move, or to cut across West Side Trail and over toward Lake of the Clouds and then uh, descend Ammo, if she if she had decided not to summit Mount Washington. Got to the area of Mount Clay and, and had picked up some tracks, um, had really kind of been following a single set of tracks all day, but uh, noticed um, up on the ridgeline that they were sneaker prints. Uh, got to the area of Mount Clay, noticed that the sneaker prints veered to the left toward great Gulf. At that point, she had decided that she was going to bail out uh, and was in the process of doing that was going to take West side trail. So I wouldn't say it was an urgent bailout. It was, it was planned. It was controlled, mm-hmm. but arrives at this intersection with these footprints and then has a decision to make: Do I continue the bailout or do I move into fo- in you know toward the fog and and the footprints? And decided that she couldn't let it go. Followed the footprints and found uh, a man uh, lying down at a you know behind an outcropping. He had shorts on, what she described as tennis shoes, a single layer underneath like a t-shirt, and then an uninsulated jacket. He was hypothermic. Uh, wouldn't respond to you know, verbal stimulus, um, so she started calling him John just to try to make this connection with him and then went through the process of just uh, triage to see if he had fallen and was injured, what his status was, and, and was able to determine pretty quickly that it was, it was hypothermia that was uh, impairing him. Basically, uh, stripped him down of the frozen and wet clothing that he was wearing, replaced his clothing with clothing, extra clothing that she had brought in her pack, uh, gave him some hot chocolate, electrolyte tablets, uh, placed, um, hand and toe warmers, um, on strategic areas of his body where you would expect heat loss to take place, put him in a bivy sack. This is in 60 plus mile an hour winds and now really heavy sleet with, uh, Really poor visibility spent an, uh, about an hour rewarming him to the point where he could stand up and walk with her and basically led him uh, back uh, along Gulfside back to the jewel trail at descended jewel trail over the course of several hours uh, and arrived back at the parking lot at six o'clock at night, rewarmed his wet clothing on the dash of her vehicle, gave them back to him. Um, gave him, I I don't know if if scolding is the right word, but some instruction in safe hiking practices. Uh, He thanked her um, and he left. And um, a little over a week later, Alan Clark, who's the president and founder of Pemi Valley Search and Rescue, received a letter in the mail with a $100 bill in it for a a donation to the Pemi team. And the letter indicated that he had been up there to take his life, and that Pam interrupted that. Uh that he now felt that he he mattered. He was getting the support that he needed. He was uh seeking employment uh and trying to redirect his life. And so that's that's the story.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And I I don't know why this didn't click click with me before, but so Pam didn't really realize. Until that letter came in, what his intent was up there. she in her mind, she, she maybe she suspected, but like in her mind, she just thought he could have been like a, just an irresponsible hiker that she ran into.
3: Yeah, she had no idea. She thought he was he was an unprepared hiker. He told her that he had driven over from Maine uh, and it was 60 degrees when he left Maine. Um, and that he was just going over there to do the loop. he had borrowed a friend's car. That same loop that Pam was doing was one of his favorite loops as well. And um, and even it, you know even when Alan Clark recognized Pam at the North Country Public Safety Foundation dinner, you know a little less than a week later for it, he was recognizing her um, in front of the group for, essentially saving the life of an unprepared hiker. It was like the within days after that event, uh, that that Alan got the the letter postmarked from, you know, in Portland, Maine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And then you stumbled on this story, if I recall correctly. You sort of stumbled on the story by doing the research on the uh the book Where You'll Find Me, right? You were interviewing search and rescue folks and and PM was one of the, the folks that you you um you interviewed so you sort of came on this so eventually like you you put this in print it becomes viral um and then what was the how did the, what was the transition from it going viral in print to it becoming a movie project
3: yeah so i uh, i was interviewing pam on background because of the extensive amount of time she had spent on the presidential range particularly the traverse um and I, at first, I submitted it as an essay to Appalachia Journal, uh, which is published by the AMC. It's the, the country's longest running journal of mountaineering. And at that time, Appalachia was in print. And so really, the subscribers were, were the ones that, um, you know, that, that now learned of the story. And at the time, um, the union leader did a review of where you'll find me. And over the course of that, asked me if I was interested in just writing an occasional column on the climbing scene in New Hampshire. Uh, and I'd done, you know, a couple of columns. And I reached this point, as any writer does, where it just something, the story wasn't coming to me. And my wife said, send them, send them emotional rescue. And I said, you know, that's it's over 4,000 words. They're, they're never going to accept it. Um, but they did and they ran the whole story and at the same time they put it in their print paper, they posted it on their Facebook page and that's where it took off. Um, that's when it went viral at this point. I think it's, it's got over 520,000 reads. Uh, that was as of like three weeks ago before the premiere. And in the course of that, uh, disbursement, um, it made its way to a screenwriter in California who had spent time in the white mountains of New Hampshire and was quite taken by the story. He got in touch with his agent. His agent got in touch with me because I don't have one nor. So, uh, and said, you know, the screenwriter wants to write a screenplay and pitch it for a film. And, uh, I said, look, I'm not, thank you. I'm, I'm not going to do anything without Involving Pam in this process, which the screenwriter, I think, was interested in talking with Pam as well. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, if she says no, I'm just going to get back in touch and say, you know, we're not interested because if she wasn't going to participate, neither was I. And uh, we both decided after a lot of discussion that we saw great value in the mental health message um, and the message of selflessness and service and taking care of each other. And, um, and so the screenwriter took this. And then at that point, really, I was, I kind of went to the periphery of it. And, you know, Pam spent a lot of time talking with the screenwriter about kind of her life and that day. And then once Maven studio picked it up, um, and ultimately Bleecker street, then Pam started working with Naomi Watts on character development.
0: Got it. And so essentially like you, you're not like Stephen King where you can negotiate and say like, okay, well, I want, um, you know, creative control over this. This is sort of like you're agreeing to let the screenwriter run with it and you're creating a film based on the the essay, but they're going to take whatever license they want as far as, you know, the dramatic effects to make it a cinema experience for people.
3: Right, right.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, um, so it goes into production, I guess, Stomp. I want to hand it over to you to talk a little bit about some of the folks that are behind the scenes that were um, involved in the production of this, because you, you've done a little bit more research than I have on this, but like, obviously Naomi Watts is probably the big name, but there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely, you know, some well-known directors and screenplay folks on this. So do you want to yeah sure take it through, uh, through some of the, the. The players here and ask Ty, you know, from his perspective.
1: Yeah, the the directing team um, is actually a, a Polish team. Am I correct, Ty?
3: Um, I, I know that, yes, the director was from Poland.
1: Yeah, Malgozada Samoska. Apparently, she has 28 wins and 48 nominations for different awards. And then um, Mikkel Englert, uh, they both have pretty prolific. Uh, backgrounds for movies and whatnot. A lot of films you probably won't know, but um, Mau Gazzotta, if that's how you pronounce her name, has films dating back to 2008. So, again, really quite prolific. The screenplay was um, written by Josh Rollins, and um, apparently he's known for his work on Dark Knight, of all things. So that's pretty interesting.
3: And uh, Josh was in the film. He was, was uh, if you recall, yeah, the two hikers that uh, Naomi oh, and Catherine yeah. parking lot. He he was one. Of the, he was one of them.
1: Okay. How about the um, the female that was accompanying him? Any background on her?
3: No, I, I actually don't have any really any background on anyone involved other than Pam. <laughs>
1: Okay, gotcha. (laughs) That's so funny. And uh, production was handled by Trudy Stylers, who is Mrs. Sting. Um, I mean, she's just been in a ton of things, um, from Zoolander to Friends to you name it. Cinematography, which for me was the highlight in this movie, was um, actually uh, by Mikkel Englert as well. So that's pretty cool. He had his hand on the visuals. Soundtrack? They decided not to use a score, which I find to be the coolest thing ever. They actually just went with sound design and i couldn 't find a name behind the sound design but when you 're watching the movie you're you 're feeling the wind and you 're hearing the snow pelt the fabric of uh, pams jacket and it was so visceral I felt I was up there in the mountains with her it was phenomenal
0: yeah and and that was interesting to me and I didn't really notice it until after the film but like you definitely like the the difference between like hey okay, you're above tree line and we can feel the wind and the snow pelting and then you're below tree line and it becomes quiet and you know there was a scene and we don't want to give away too many spoilers because we want people to go see the movie but like there is this scene where you know, they have a wide view, and Pam is coming down um, below treeline, and you can see sort of her, like, her headlamp. And it, it was hard to actually spot her in the beginning, and then over to the right of the film, you could see, like, okay, they're coming down the trail from there, which I thought was really interesting. But the cinematography for this, like, if you're a fan of, like, sort of, like, mountains, it's, it's, a, it's a visually stunning film, Um The one thing I think that, you know, people in our area are going to call out is the the location, which is obviously not the White Mountains. It was filmed in Slovenia, right? Yes. Slovenia.
1: So uh, back to the cast. I mean, everybody knows Naomi at this point. She's been in movies, you know, Peter Jackson's King Kong, Birdman, Vice, Allegiant. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Billy Howell. I thought he did a fantastic job as John. He's been in Dunkirk and uh, Star Wars, a couple episodes of Star Wars, the more recent movies. And, um, you know, again, as Ty had mentioned, it was distributed by Bleecker. And they have a pretty uh, impressive roster as well. And it was produced by Maven Screen and uh, the Polish Film Institute. So pretty awesome. Nice job. And as you'd mentioned, um, Mike, it was in Slovenia and the Kamniska Bistrica Valley and uh, just beautiful visuals. The aesthetics of the movie were amazing.
0: The mountains definitely have sort of a more, obviously like a feel of the Alps. They're more jagged peaks. But I felt like the... Um, below tree line scenes had a very sort of Pacific Northwest vibe to it. So um, I don't know, do you know specifically why they chose Slovenia in that area? Was it just the, the, the director's choice of that, that was what, what was easier for them to sort of film in because of where she's from?
3: Yeah. I, well, I think uh, uh, there were a couple of factors in that decision. One, the directing team was from Poland. Um, we were in the midst of a, global pandemic during filming, and mm-hmm. I think there, you know, so that comes with restrictions and challenges, and and so I think, the, um, you know, those were a couple of the factors that went into it. I, I also suspect it, it's probably, um, there's a financial benefit to filming there, um, and so, yeah, I think that, that all of those things probably went into that decision.
0: Got it yeah and the thing about the so the visuals for me is so so um Pam's house along the river like that looked like that could be along like that could be anywhere in New Hampshire, so that looked that looked um you know really really cool matter of fact place I'd like to live um and then the the roads and everything like that the parking lots looked very much like you would see around New Hampshire there was a like a breakfast place that Pam went to at the beginning and the end of the movie. And I thought that that was very sort of... I was in the Pacific Northwest a couple of times. And one time I went to a place where it was like, there was a, the, you know, like the, the sheriff was sitting in the front and having coffee with like three or four locals. Like it had that sort of Pacific Northwest vibe to it. Um, but it also could have been a place in New Hampshire. Like I've seen breakfast places in North Conway that were like that. And then I think Below Treeline was very similar to what you'd find in New Hampshire without having the trails as pronounced. So it was sort of like... Um, there weren't. wasn't obvious trails like you would see in New Hampshire, um, and then above treeline was just different. The visuals were probably more sort of Alps-like, but um, yeah, definitely I, a place like I got my curiosity going. Like I would love to check out Slovenia in that area to see what it's like hiking. But I don't know, Stomp, what your your, your thoughts were on the visuals.
1: Well, the visu- visuals are amazing. I mean, absolutely beautiful. I For me, boiling it down, I think that every time they showed Naomi as Pam in the woods, it was Mount Washington or the Whites, for sure. It was just almost identical to me, which is fantastic. And you can certainly draw parallels to the scenes where they show the larger, you know, jagged peaks to the Whites. Um, But absolutely spot on. Whenever they show Naomi, it was just perfect, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Hi. What was the reasoning behind um, releasing this as a limited release versus a, a broader uh, national release? Do you have any insight on that?
3: I don't. Um, I do. I do believe it's heading to streaming. Is it next week? Uh, okay. It'll be available on digital. But I don't. I don't know the. I don't know the decision making behind the limited theatrical release part.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I. I happen to recall that there may be some push for the award season when they release limited like that. So it'll be interesting to see how it performs um, at the awards next year, because I think there's room for uh, credit and um, praise for sure in some areas. Um, And that brings us to the critical response at the moment. It's, it's based uh, like 5.9 out of 10 at rotten tomatoes. And some of the, um, the reviews are saying Infinite Storm's dramatization of a real-life story feels frustratingly incomplete, but that's often outweighed by Naomi Watts' outstanding performance. And, you know, when I read that, I was like, you know, that's actually pretty accurate. It was a great performance, especially for people that know Pam. Um, But I guess it maybe at times felt perhaps a tad bit rushed or incomplete in terms of maybe character development. I don't know. I'd be curious to see what people think. Uh, metacritic they're saying 56 out of 100 so it's you know but again it this is the critic realm here so usually the audience um comes away with a, a more positive response than the critics in my opinion
3: i i've done a couple of q a's after uh the film um at a couple of venues and and do spend some time clarifying some things um so yeah, I, I've I've encountered some some confusion around, like you said, some character development and and uh, plot and that kind of thing.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah, and I would say for me, and I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but it was interesting. So the the actual story of what happened. It, you know, Pam is out there doing her thing, and, you know, she's a hiker like most of the listeners are, and she's she goes into search and rescue mode, and she's, again, I'm not on search and rescue, Stomp is, but I think one of the messages we try to get out to people is that, like, be prepared to help other people on the trail, have some basic knowledge about safety and how to, how to you know, help people, and I'll talk a little bit of it later about sort of, like, some of the things I picked up in the movies around Pam or Naomi Watts' character, or Pam in the movie, sort of living that life. But I think for me, like the big thing around mental health is that the the probably the big change between your article and the movie is that I think they positioned this as two people instead of like Pam being the savior of somebody that's having mental health issues. It was sort of like two people meeting at the at a time when they needed each other the most, and in some ways they found. They found a way to overcome their mental health challenges by helping each other in their 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 worst time of need. So it was like sort of like they they added Pam's character as somebody that needed help as much as the person that was being rescued. I thought, which I thought was an interesting spin.
3: Yeah, and I, I and I what I'll just I'll say you know that that wasn't the case that day. Um, you know, again, Pam was up there because she hadn't been able to be up there for quite some time because of weather. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah I understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, which I thought was an interesting spin. Um, so it was, you know, the way that they they positioned the story from that perspective was uh, was different and I wasn't expecting it it, t- it was a bit of a it took a little while for me to realize it because I'm going in there knowing sort of the background of the story based on your article but um I thought that Naomi Watts sort of played that that role very well she's a she's a great actor do you know did yeah. Pam talk about like how she can you talk a little bit about how Pam was able to get Naomi to be her
3: well, I, at the, so at the time, uh, I think they were, they had a, a series of uh, conversations over Zoom. Uh, and I think, you know, Naomi was able to just, you know, observe Pam and they were able to talk. And, and I think what you see with when when Naomi is like that that portrayal. I mean, I and I think that's just from the amount of time that they were able to, to spend on video because they they couldn't be together because again, we were in the midst of, uh, of the pandemic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the thing, you know, what I got so excited about, I was like telling my wife, I was like, everyone should be doing that was, and I, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but like, I don't think this gives anything away as far as the story, but when she was getting ready to go up, like she goes into this coffee place that's like at the bottom of the mountain and she had two heavy, um, Uh, thermoses that she was filling up with hot chocolate. And I always tell people in the winter, I'm like... Everybody should be carrying a thermos of hot liquid, whether it's hot chocolate or coffee or water, because if you run into someone and they're hypothermic, like I had that situation where we did an overnight on Kerrigan and one of our friends got hypothermic and like we tried to heat up food and it didn't work. And the second we gave him hot liquid, he snapped out of that hypothermia. So like to see that in the movie, how she actually had two thermoses of hot liquid, I was like, yeah, that's a good message for people. And I think a lot of hikers will look at that and say like, that's not realistic because you shouldn't be carrying that weight. But I looked at that and I was like, "That's a safety um, mechanism that everybody should be carrying in the winter." So I was a little excited about that piece of it. So didn't take much. Good. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, when you when you saw the, the the cut, obviously you were with your friends and, and family and everything like that. But did you um, was there anything in there where you were like, "Wow, that was completely"? off from what i wanted or were you just sort of resigned already to say like look the movie's going to be based on my writing and i'm going to accept whatever you know whatever the output is on it
3: well i had um i had seen a very pre-production version of it um just in the months before so i had a pretty good idea that um there were going to be some differences um i was able to see that at at home, but I had it and I wasn't, I'm probably not very good at it, but I, I had to try to discipline myself to go in looking through the lens of a spectator, a movie goer, and not arriving there as the person that wrote the story as it, as it occurred. Mm, um, same with me. So, What I just really tried to focus on were the themes and, and just again, resigning, kind of just letting go of the fact that it wasn't, you know, you were not going to see the iconic summit of Mount Washington. You weren't, you were not going to see the state park, the observatory, the cog, um, the auto road. So, and as I think I told Stomp in the lead up to this conversation, I absolutely loved the movie, uh, The Martian with Matt Damon. But it wasn't filmed on Mars, right? So, um, (laughs) (laughs) I. I, But I, you know, I do think I think if you if you could get beyond what what you read um, and where it was filmed, and and just tried to look for the themes, I think they they're there. And and again, I think I, I think Naomi Watts just was just phenomenal in that role. I can't think of anyone else that could have was more just geared for it and appropriate to do it
0: yeah yeah no she she's fantastic and like she really like i think there's a picture at the end of the movie that was was i think that was pam and then like when Mm -hmm. you looked at at naomi like she really just looked exactly like her and that that so she must have gotten a couple of photos of pam and she said like okay i want to i want to get this look
3: yeah (laughs) yeah
0: Which is great. All right, Stomp. So, what's your take on the on the movie? Any any points you wanted to bring up or ask Ty? Well, you know, I think
1: in general, I think they they sort of missed an opportunity to develop the characters a little bit more. Um, you know, by adding some of the Hollywood stuff, like the you know the you know the you know the Spruce Trap and this and that. Everybody's seen the preview, so that's that's not a surprise. You know, um, I think there was some, some time lost there where they could have developed that whole storyline. And, um, I, yeah, to me, it comes across as two people grieving, which I don't know necessarily if that was your ambition tie with that essay. Uh,
3: no, it wasn't.
1: Yeah. So maybe talk about that a little bit. How do you, how do you, did you respond to that? You know, particularly when they're sitting in, in the diner at the end of the movie discussing things. And
3: well, I think as, uh, as, Folks know if they read the essay, uh, we never learn of John's identity. Um, he he never um, he never comes forward beyond the the letter that he wrote and signed, John. Um, and I think I think there's power in that in in terms of the message um, yeah. and the mystery in relation to mental health. And again, you know, I I I. I think the film hits the theme of mental
2: health at the end, just in a, in a different way. What do you think about the impact on
1: search and rescue, uh, in particular, in New Hampshire, in or just the community in general from this movie?
3: The SAR community, yeah. Well, I, I think it's a really good question. Here, here is. Here's what I'll say, and it, it is not—it's not to marginalize any of what happened. Um, but I really believe, based on every search and rescue member that I've met from multiple teams throughout New Hampshire over the past um, what six plus years, I've been writing about them. Yeah, I really believe in every person I've met that nobody would have no one i met would have walked kept walking straight um right there's just that ethos right that's within these teams the volunteers new hampshire fishing game um and again i there's you know the focus is on pemmy uh because that's the team that pam was on and but again i think that that selflessness and that service carries across all of the teams uh, in New Hampshire, for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah. So, and in terms of
3: how the SAR teams are going to react to it, I think they're, you know, they're just going to continue to do what they do quietly and without seeking fanfare. And um, just as Pam wasn't up there to seek fanfare or recognition, uh, that's, and they're just going to continue to do their work. I do think it's good. Um, I think anytime there can be more public support for the work that the teams do is a good thing. And for mm-hmm. there to be a recognition of, of the work and, and the risks involved in it and the commitment.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, I talked a little bit about the, um, you know, the pacing and the soundtrack, and um, I love the early morning vibe with Pam getting up and um, getting ready to go for a hike. We've all experienced that. Um, but, but I think the missed opportunity for me would have been, like, if I was, like, the screenwriter or the producer, I would have been, like, in the very beginning, I think before you even introduce Pam, I probably would have, like, done, like, a five-minute scene of, a like, a rescue with like maybe like a group of PEMI to show like Pam being involved in like a search and rescue with like a few people carrying out a rescue and sort of like maybe them hanging out afterwards like um, just so that people understand what the search and rescue volunteer teams do because I think that was just sort of you know she was introduced the Pemmy um, logo was there but I think it would have been cool to uh, to actually just started off with like a a rescue without a lot of context, just do a cold opening and say like, okay, we're carrying this person out. Maybe, maybe somebody steps in a spruce trap there or whatever. But, um, but overall I thought it was great. It was like, like I said, it was, your essay I think was about sort of the mental health struggle and the fact that, you know, Pam was there and was, you know, a search and rescue person that was not going to turn away. This movie was more of sort of two people that needed each other. Um, and, you know, helped each other get through, um, some challenges in their time of need. But, um, I really would have liked to, uh, have seen a director's cut with that search and rescue scene in the beginning.
3: Yeah. It, you, when you said that, it made me think of the movie Lone Survivor when the, the movie begins with, um, Bud's training and, you know, because, you know, training to become Navy SEALs and, I think that, you know, it kind of creates some context and sets the stage. But, you know, and and I think what I will say um, to your point about needing each other and, you know, talking with Pam and reading the emails that uh, went back and forth between her and teammates in the, the evening and then the days that followed the rescue is that, you know, and this really stood out to me when she was up there by herself, she she leaned on her teammates, um, that, you know, she leaned on her fellow search and rescue per, uh, teammates and, you know, what would they do and, uh, you know, what would Fishing game do? And, and so I think, I think in some ways they, that part was there. It just, it just wasn't represented in, in the teammates, but I was really struck by, you know, her saying that to me and her writing that, um, to her teammates that Again, in the days that followed, I think that's really, really important thing to mention.
0: Yeah. And Hmm. the the actual story, like, she must have not gotten to the point where, so she's up there, like, you know, and this is what actually happened, not the movie, but, so she's up there, she's got him in the bivy, and she's got the liquids, and she must have had enough confidence in what she had in the situation she was in that she didn't like call for additional help like she never got to the point where she was like all right i'm i'm we're past the point where i can do this by myself like she she had things in hand i'm assuming because otherwise she would have had to call for additional help i mean it's not like there's not cell phone coverage there although i don't know back then if it was as good as it is now but still she must not have got to the point where she panicked that much about it
3: i i know uh pam had a cell phone with her and the battery uh had been drained by the co- exposure to the cold so um yeah i so that was a that was a factor whether it reached a point where where she would have called um i'm not sure but it just wasn't it wasn't an option for her at that point because the phone oh, okay. wasn't working yep
0: yeah yeah and back then too it was, so this is, goes back a few years like the, the cell phone batteries weren't as resilient as they are now I don't think right Right. so Stomp have you ever fell in a spruce trap
1: I have and um, <laughs> I mean I've experienced them up to maybe six feet five six feet um, that really cracked me up about that movie I mean around here when you get above tree line those trees are just not that deep I mean What she fell in sort of looked more like some bouldery cave or something even, you know, that's possible up here. But for a 20-foot spruce trap, hmm, sort of curious.
0: I don't think about it, but, like, I mean, it is possible. Like, I've fallen into what I've heard. I've read, I think, in, like, Vermont or ski. I've heard people skiing into these spruce traps and ending up, like, head first. Like that would be my biggest nightmare is falling into one of those things head first and like not being able to get out. Yeah. Like what a nightmare that would be.
1: <laughs> I could say that again. And it, It's exhausting too. I mean, just trying to walk through a field of spruce where the snow is up to your shoulders. It's exhausting. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. So that would be the risk of like bushwhacking in the winter. Like what you do stomp, like you could fall into a spruce trap, even if it's like five or six feet, like that's enough to exhaust you. You'd be, you'd be in trouble.
1: Well, I actually experienced it this uh, weekend going up into Greeley Notch because at the higher elevations, there's still still some deep snow and, uh, you know, at waist height, it's exhausting. So you really have to pick and choose your your terrain. But I think in the movie, she went off trail or off of the trail that she was apparently following. So, yeah, you the risk of a spruce trap off trail is certainly much greater. But again, uh, up here not that dramatic as what the film portrayed.
0: Got it. So, Stump, what do you, or, uh, well, uh, Ty, what do you think the impact on search and rescue in New Hampshire is going to be? You think this is going to help her? You don't think it's, is it going to have any, any impact at all? Or what, what do you think?
3: I mean, I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it's going to hurt um, search and rescue. I think it goes back to the conversation that we were having at the beginning about, um, you know, people wanting to support causes. And and I think, you, you, you know, you can look at the work that the volunteer teams in New Hampshire do unpaid um, all hours of the night, every month of the year. And, you know, that's that it's a noble cause to support. Um, so I think the more support search and rescue gets, particularly financially, helps them purchase gear and send people to advanced schools and, uh, and, and keep the rescuers safe. So I, I hope, I hope there's, I hope there's an upside to that. Um, and I hope it, I hope it, you know, I hope it goes beyond New Hampshire because there are search and rescue teams throughout the United States, um, that are doing great work.
1: I have to add to that because this sort of ties into my thinking on, um, you know, how they portrayed Pam as a search and rescue volunteer. But it's important to remember that this wasn't an actual mission. And I think it's important for listeners to remember that, you know, she was more of a good Samaritan with training and and certainly a, a hell of a lot of experience with search and rescue. But there are a lot of hikers out there that in the same situation with, say, wilderness first responder training or wilderness first aid training could have done something similar so um just because you know pam is this experienced search and rescue volunteer doesn't mean that um uh, some good samaritan other than pam couldn't have pulled this off as well so i think that's an important thing to remember uh, for the public just training is is great for everybody
0: yeah agreed and i guess um you know, one one thing we'll have to see, Stomp, is you'll have to tell us like if you get like five hundred new member requests this year, like we'll know that the movie made an impact.
1: Yeah, who knows? I mean, we're up quite a bit this year, anyway. But um, I don't know why, but um, we'll see. How about your writing, Ty? Has this impacted your 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 art, your writing, your approach to writing?
3: Well, I I, I, I never wrote. Uh, with the expectation of it advancing beyond a readership, um, it's certainly not a film. And and I, I'm just going to continue to write in that with that mindset. Uh, it's not why I do this. Um, you know, I'm really, I'm pleased uh, for Pam uh, that that selflessness could and that courage could be celebrated in this way. Um, again, I think it's a, it is a positive reflection on search and rescue in New Hampshire. I do think it highlights the importance of mental health, and that's where I've really, since this started uh, with the with the movie coming out, that's where I've really tried to focus my energy. With all of this, is on conversations around mental health, and um, with with this, it's it's a fleeting moment, and so. That's what I want to talk to people about, um, and in terms of the writing, I'm just—I want to continue to write uh, stories and with no uh, with no agenda or goal beyond hoping I write something that people enjoy reading and take something away from.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, are you directing listeners uh, at your events or people that talk to you about mental health to any particular resources?
3: Well, I did. um, I did a panel discussion after a showing at the Red River River Red River Theater with uh, Lynn Lyons, a psycho psychotherapist that specializes in childhood anxiety and um, and also is is starting to uh, do a lot of work around adult anxiety. And that was again that just a really meaningful way to direct my energy. And uh, we're actually going to do that same. Q and A session again next week at Red River because the first one sold out. Um, yeah. And again, I'm re- psyched that we're also at the same time supporting a nonprofit, small nonprofit arts venue too. So, um, yeah. Any any time I'm talking with groups right now, film related, it's it's really directing people toward um, you know mental health organizations and such.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I read, I read a fair amount. Like I've, I've some challenges with um, mental health in, in my family and whatnot, and I know in particular kids nowadays, and uh, there's some theories about this, but I, I think one of the, the prevailing theories is that like free play has been limited with kids and everything's so structured, and you know that may have some impact on the fact that you're seeing less sort of resiliency, among younger people and a higher level of anxiety. I also think the stigma around mental health is lifted a bit. So you'll see a higher volume of of, um, people seeking treatment. So I don't know what it is like chicken or the egg when it comes to that. But I do think that there is something about the fact that, you know, we do have, we're raising kids in a much more structured environment. Um, And I do, I always talk about hiking, obviously, like, hiking is not for everybody. Like I have three kids and two of my kids are not into hiking, but I do think that, you know, looking at hiking as an outlet to talk about like sort of letting off some of that pressure or anxiety at minimum, like you're going out and you're sort of facing adversity when you're on trail. It's definitely something to think about if you have, you know, some anxiety, like try to get outside and, and experience nature and, you know, it won't ha- it won't help for everybody, but You know, I always tell people, like, give it a try. It may be your outlet. You know, if it's not hiking, then maybe it's writing or maybe it's art or maybe it's something. But you have to find your version of hiking to find, uh, you know, an outlet sometimes. And again, that doesn't always solve it. But you have to find your, your thing to hopefully, you know,
3: give you some balance.
0: So, you know, I'm certainly not a psychiatrist, but that's always been my sort of advice to people that are struggling.
3: Yeah. Connection to people and connection to things we're passionate about. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Ty, do you have any, um, in a go- I obviously like you wouldn't want to publicize anything until it's like ready to be published, but do you have anything, um, hiking related or projects that you're, you're working on that you think would take, you know, come to fruition over the next year or two?
3: Uh, I'm actually working on a, uh, writing project right now. I'm in research mode and I'm hoping in about a year it'll be it'll be done so okay. yeah
0: yep that's exciting right. i'm excited i have um there's like so many stories in the whites that 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 you could cover so i'll be curious to see what you come up with
3: yeah and it, it is out of it is out of the white mountains
0: <laughs> okay very good Excellent. Um, <laughs> Great. So, Stomp, you have here in the notes um, about fan management. So, I think, Stomp, between me, you, and Ty, you're about the only one that's had to deal with any sort of like <laughs> people recognizing you. So, me and Ty, like, we, I don't think we can be picked out in a crowd, but you're, you're, a yeah. oh, big beard. come on. Uh, I thought you were picked yeah. out once, Mike. Isn't that the Never. case? No.
3: Nope. I, I, and I think I've made it quite obvious tonight, not being able to answer many of the questions around the entertainment <laughs> side of this and the production side that. I don't think we have to worry yeah. that I'm going to need fan management, so. Um,
1: <laughs> well, yeah. if you do, then we have some suggestions <laughs> yeah. for you. You can always do a wig, a wig of work, yeah. a wig. <laughs> you can go for the um, aviator glasses. That's, that's always a solid, solid bet. Um, excessive facial hair, that doesn't work for me, but it might work for you. <laughs> okay. Um, this is from Mike, body odor. He Apparently Mike says body odor. Excessive body odor works.
0: <laughs> I don't remember writing that. Oh, thought uh, you You might have wrote that. So. <laughs>
1: and general obnoxiousness? Like, you know, carry a boom box on your shoulder. Loud music, that works. That's a good repellent. Uh, let's see, anything yeah. else, Mike?
0: Stomp, you work on that. Me and Ty are going to be on the island in Squam <laughs> Lake, yeah.
3: hiding from everything. So. Okay, it's a good place to hide. It's just
0: yeah. Uh, uh, I'm gonna. I'm definitely doing that. This summer. I'm gonna check that out. So we probably <laughs> like we're gonna get. I guarantee you, somebody's gonna give us hate mail to be like, don't give that stuff away, Ty. Yeah. Um, you know that's a, that's a good one though.
1: And we did have two questions from um, listeners. Uh, Shandy wanted to know, and this is speculative, but um, hiking take a lo- takes a lot out of you. What happens if you gas out and have no more to give? So in reference to to a rescuer like Pam what if she gassed out what would have happened so that's a tough one
3: yeah and I I think I mean I there's this pervasive um, standard among all the teams that you you do not create a second emergency uh, and that rescuer safety really has to come first
1: yeah, sure. So, you know, it's conceivable that there would have been a point where somebody like Pam would have said, okay, I gotta go. I mean, yeah. where is that line? And I mean, it's very situational, uh, situation dependent. It depends on the context.
3: Yeah. And I know, I know that was, that was going through her mind during that encounter. You know, what if, what am I going to do if, and, um, and, and she recognized that that there may had, she may have had to break away. Yeah. But it didn't come to that, thankfully, because she was persistent and uh, supportive and compassionate.
1: Mm -hmm. And then we have another question from Mary Maynard. And she says, uh, my question is uh, for the infinite storm podcast is, did Pam really fall in that huge hole? Or was that added from Hollywood?
3: uh, That did not happen.
1: (laughs) Right. Correct. So thank you for the submissions.
0: Yeah, I had one more stomp. Actually, um, okay. t- there was um, another question that came up, which was um, Pam. At the end of the movie, they had said that Pam had done some work out west, so apparently she left New Hampshire and was able to do do work or something out west. So, is she is she in the New Hampshire region? Is she still on search and rescue here, or has she moved out of the region?
3: Now, uh, lives out west uh, and volunteers at an, at a number of parks in, out in the western part of the country. Okay. And I think is very got happy it, got to, be, it. So she, to be back there, yep.
0: Got it, yeah. So she probably um, had enough of New Hampshire to, to last her and wanted to go out and do a new adventure. So great for her. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So anything else, any other questions, Stomp, for Ty?
1: I think we've covered everything. I mean, we had quite a list here, but, uh, I think we flowed along and Ty, how about you? Any last comments?
3: No, I, I think just, um, and I think I said this in the last, the last appearance that, um, you know, we all have that rescuer inside of us and, um, it's just recognizing, you know, whose roster, who's, who are my rescuers? Who are the people I lean on when I need help? And, you know, I've leaned on some people over the past few weeks as this has all played out because um, I-, I can't say I'm celebrating the release of the film I- because I-, I go back to the fact that the the circumstances that caused all of this to happen in the first place and that I go back to John. Um, I-, I really hope he's okay and statistics would tell you that he is uh, because... Uh, nine out of 10 people who attempt suicide um, and survive will not go on to commit suicide. And I I think that's a, so the odds are Hmm. the odds would tell the statistics would tell you that the John continues to be okay, but we don't know that. Uh, But, and there's just a lot of people out there walking ridges right now in personal storms and we can all be, rescuers. So check in on the people you love and care about, the people you work with. Uh, Don't just kind of take I'm good at face value. Uh, I'm fine at face value. Just be present and and just be supportive and don't hesitate to lean on people in your life when you need help. It's okay to need help.
1: That's awesome. And, um, you know, just from me personally, Ty. Thank you for writing that piece. I think you did a wonderful job, and um, it it will stand the test of time, my friend.
3: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's a great story. It's a fun movie. Um, again, I think uh, for me, I would say that the you know the experience of actually going to the movies and watching it was was. Awesome. It's been five years since I've been back there and it was really great to actually check out for two hours and not have any, any other focus, but just going to the movies and and watching a story about, about the mountains, which I'm down for that anytime. I love anything to do with the mountains.
3: Well, and I (laughs) think Pam and John's story coming out of the pandemic. I mean, if that's, if there's a movie to see after what we've navigated for two years, that that's, it's pretty appropriate.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I want to open up eventually. I want to retire and open up one of those little coffee breakfast places right at the right at the trailhead. We need more of those in New Hampshire. And those would go over
3: well.
1: Oh, I got to tell you, there's yes. there's an Easter egg actually at that diner. Did you guys notice the pickup truck that was parked in front of the diner? No. Okay, so they, there's a scene, Pam is walking up the stairs into the diner. There's a pickup truck. And if you look at the door of the pickup, there's a Pemi Valley Search and Rescue logo on the door. It's hilarious. Like, whose truck is that? <laughs> yeah, it, it was very fleeting. But, oh, they, they almost made that diner appear to be like the Pemi headquarters or something. It was really funny. Yeah. Like, we have a, yeah, our own headquarters. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's yeah, not yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah. I love that whole vibe about like, cause I'm a, it, some people don't hike a but I'm an early morning hiker. So for me, like getting up at like, <laughs> and the shoe got up a little bit later than I did, but like getting up at four, four 30 in the morning. And like, I usually have my stuff packed the night before, but like getting dressed, getting the coffee and like knowing that I'm in for sort of a day of you know, it's going to be a long day of working out and then getting in the car, driving to the trailhead, like and doing that by yourself, like not a lot of, there's not that many people that do solo hiking and like, you got to be a special kind of lunatic to be like, okay, I'm going to drive off to a trailhead by myself in freezing cold weather. Like I could relate to that so well. And I, I just was like immersed in like her process of getting ready in the morning. Cause I've done it so many times.
3: Mm.
1: I hate
0: it. I love it. I I absolutely hate it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a morning Uh, person anyway,
1: but I love it. Crack of noon. I'll roll out, and I'm I'm not afraid of headlamps. It cracks me up when people get scared about the sun going down. Like we have headlamps. You're going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm not scared of the sun going down. I'm scared of like my wife being like, "You need to get your ass home and cook dinner." (laughs)
2: That's really funny. Oh, boy. Good stuff. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week.
0: Stomp, you're going to tell us about the Livermore um, Trailhead here. So you came in, so we didn't talk about hiking here, but um, you came in from... So, you went into Livermore South. Notched? So, you just you went from Livermore, which is like Trailhead where you get to like try pyramids and all that stuff. And you went, did you go to Greeley Pond or where did where'd you go?
1: I went straight to the uh, Greeley Pond area, lower and upper. And I was blown away. Uh, you know, I'm a late bloomer, I guess. I, I've heard so much about Greeley, but this is the first time getting out there and I was absolutely floored. I felt like, um, I felt like I was in Slovenia. I felt like Naomi Watts actually out there. Like, wow, where am I? <laughs> in this never, majestic gone, place.
0: Like I've gone in from the um, the Kank side of Greeley Pond Trail, but I always cut over to Osceola. But um, what's so what's so great about it? It's pretty flat in there, right? Well, Livermore
1: um, Trailhead is. More or less flat. There's a mild um, ascent on the way out, and it's like 3.4 miles from Livermore South to Greeley Ponds. And um, you know, this required micro spikes. Really, no big deal. Super gradual. It's it's Greeley Notch. It's just absolutely stunning. You have so many cliffs. I highly recommend it. It's it's going to blow your mind because the backside of East Osceola, Mike, where you ascended uh, to get up to East, you see Mm -hmm. this, this massive, massive cliff face. And I think the name uh, is K1K2. I I think according to some documentation that I read by Steve Smith, that it's K1K2. So I came out of there really impressed and I decided to do some of the additional spurs in the area. So I went up to timber camp and timber camp is a 0.9 spur. That's about maybe two, 2.3 miles up as you're heading towards Greeley. And for anybody that has done Goodrich rock, it's just past that by maybe a quarter mile. So I made okay. it up to the top of timber and uh, made it to the camp, but that's when I started post-holing. But there are some views up there of the tri pyramids and, and uh, Greeley Notch that are just absolutely breathtaking. And it was really refreshing to see something like so magnificent that I hadn't seen in a while. You know, you get in your into your cycles with some of these hikes and some of the locations you go to, but this is just beautiful. And I think you're right. I think the kank side is a lot easier and quicker to get to the ponds, but I would recommend the longer trip from south the South Trailhead. Um, it was just awesome. So I did some more research beyond that, and if you do some looking into the Waterville Valley Athletic and Improvement Association. They have a great website and they actually list um, alphabetically all of the trails that you can access from Livermore South, Um, you know, for instance, the Greeley Ponds, Shore, if you go straight out, you're going to hit the Tri-Pyramids. There are, let's see, big pines. That That's like 0.3 to three remaining old growth trees that are just massive and gigantic. Just so much to see. Let's see, there's Elephant Rock, um, Irene's Path, which takes you up to a vantage that looks more south towards, um, let's say... Uh, Welch Dickey, you know, the Southern Ranges and things like that, so do some research on it, Norway Rapids, I mean, there's just so much to see.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on from um, from Livermore and that whole area there, like a, you can go all the way to Livermore out to the Kank and then um, reconnect. Oh, it's amazing. Valley, Which seems like it's like a different area, but it's not, so it is. Um, it is crazy, but those cliffs you're talking about, so those cliffs are on the so they're on the east side. So those are not the same cliffs that you see as you approach the Osceola Trail.
1: No, it's further south. Side. I think you would have okay. had to have gone towards the ponds to see the cliffs. Um, okay.
0: Man, oh, they're, they're, they're amazing. <clears throat> I, didn't, yeah. I didn't get to do any um, any hiking at all. I'm going this weekend, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, hit me up if you want to do anything. I also did um, Prospect Mountain, which is in Holderness. Have you guys heard of this one?
3: Oh, yeah, I've done that.
1: Okay, super cool. I did this once before uh, with Daniel Maple, and um, my wife and I just went yesterday. So this one just, it's more or less two miles up, two miles back, but there's a really neat view of uh, the Perch Pond Road area and the the backside of the Squam range. Yeah. It's really nice hike up there. Two incredible viewpoints. Um, What did you think of that hike, Ty?
3: Yeah. I love that hike. Um, There's, there's a cave up there. I really, I've never been able to find it. So, and that's a pretty, if you, you know, when you're driving route three in Ashland and you're heading south, that's, it's a pretty neat looking uh, face. It really is. It, it's it's kind of it's cool. It's kind of, and I've gone up the front side of that with my brother in law. We've we bushwhacked up that. It's pretty that uh The sharp side. At Perch Pond on the Perch Pond roadside.
1: Okay, because I was wondering if that was cliff. It looked like it was bushwhackable for sure, but it's yeah. steep.
3: Yeah, we it, we bushwhacked it in winter, um, and it was it was fine. Wow,
1: excellent! That's so cool.
3: But it, it's a cool it's a cool face. It's really neat.
1: Oh, absolutely. You'll have to hit that one, Mike. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, it looks great. I um I I did the bell naps and I think like for this weekend, I'm not gonna mess around up north. I'm gonna either go back to the bell naps and check out um sort of the middle portion of it. I think it's like a ten mile hike to get out to like the middle three peaks, which I forget what the names of them are. Um either that or I might do like a long day on the Ossipes and like do, you know, black snout and Shaw and, and Roberts and that area. I love those like carriage trails. Yeah. In this time of the year, because they're just wide and they tend to, you know, n- you don't have to worry about postholing or anything like that. So I, I'll be probably on Saturday or Sunday doing that. But I'll let you know. Yeah, sure. So my wife wants me to paint, but I <laughs> told her I'm retired from painting. <laughs> so. Oh boy. Any search and rescue news? Yeah, yeah. We have, um, starting off with sort of a mystery here. So there was an Appalachian Trail hiker that was found um, deceased on the trail. So they have a uh, artist rendering of him with um, some of his clothing. So he's an identif- unidentified man, which um, obviously we had the, the other guy that was unidentified down in Florida that was known to be on the... Um, the Appalachian Trail that they, they ended up finding out who that person was. But this was a, I guess he was found on Spring Mountains. So the Benton-McKay Trail is like a trail that's next to the Appalachian Trail. I think it connects. So we were talking with um, Cheswick. He was talking talking about how he did that trail as part of his hike on the Eastern Continental. So they found um, he had like cargo pants, pants, You know, wool socks, Keen brand hiking boots, and, um, you know, they found them in January, so I don't know what the situation is. I mean, my guess is that they won't let this one linger for too long before they start looking at doing sort of the genetic um, DNA genealogy searches and things like that. So I think that law enforcement has a lot more tools at their disposal over the last two or three years with this DNA technology where they can get DNA and find like a distant cousin and try to narrow it down. So my guess is that if they haven't already, they're going to probably pretty quickly put this person into the DNA genealogy search to identify or to try to find leads on who he might be related to. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that would be, I'm assuming that's how they'll they'll find out who this person is. I think that's how they figured out who the other guy was too.
1: They didn't suspect any foul play, just a medical condition, I guess.
0: Doesn't say. Yeah, it's an Doesn't interesting say, story. Yeah, it's very weird, but, I mean, I think a lot of people will be in that southern part of the trail, and, you know, they may be just no, no family connections. They're out there, you know, doing their thing, and um, unfortunately, this guy passed away, and they just can't can't identify him. All right, um, the next one here, Stomp, is local to our area. This is a horrible story. This is um, a gentleman that was um, injured hiking on Kearsarge North. So, Stomp, me and you have hiked this trail. Uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful hike. I highly recommend it. But this is on Sunday, April 3rd. 1 p.m. Um, there was a 25-year-old hiker from South Portland, Maine, hiking with a friend. They had summited, and I don't know. Ty, have you been on Kearsarge North? Have you been on the the fire tower there?
3: Yeah, I have.
0: Yeah, yeah. So for listeners, there's a beautiful fire tower on Kearsarge North. You can actually sleep over there. It's got a, um, you know, it's it's pretty steep stairs to get up there, and then it has a wraparound porch. It's absolutely beautiful. Probably the best place in the Whites to see an undercast if you if you're looking for one. But unfortunately, this gentleman was with a friend, and um, he climbed to the top of the fire tower to take some photos. And he was at the top of the stairs when he fell and landed at the base of the tower. So that's a significant fall. Stomp, stomp. I would say that's probably like, what, 15 feet or so? Oh, at least. At least, Minimum. yeah. Yeah. So um, head injury um, from the impact of the fall. And um, his hike hiking companion gave first aid. And... Um, I guess another hiker that was up there that witnessed the, the fall called nine one one. So Kearsarge North is close to North Conway, so they had cell uh, connection. And given the nature of the injuries, it was decided to send a helicopter. So um, Army National Guard unit responded with a with a helicopter. So I think this incident happened at one p.m. Um, the person was lifted out of the the fire tower area at three forty-five. So it still took, you know, almost three hours for them to mobilize to get him to the Memorial Hospital in North Conway. But that's got to be scary as hell. I mean, there's, there's, you're far away from anywhere from when you're up there. That's like three miles up.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his uh, condition worsened, so they used a jungle penetrator. And just so the listeners are aware, that would look like a four-pronged anchor, more or less. So a uh, medical crew will sit on this. They'll lower down and... I find this interesting because apparently his condition was sufficient enough to use that device. So they're essentially sitting on this uh, penetrator and then lifting up rather than laying somebody down on uh, a, you know, a plinth or a, a litter.
0: Oh, you know what this is? So for anybody that's not familiar, so oh, I'm going to date myself here. But, um, and I don't know if you guys are going to laugh when I say this, but this is the Mr. Magoo. So Mr. Magoo was a cartoon in like the 60s, but he was like a blind guy and he'd be walking in construction sites. This is basically looks like a, um, like a construction boom that you would sit on, but it's like, wow. So they must've really been in a rush to get him up. They didn't want to mess around with the litter or anything.
1: Yeah, perhaps. Yep. Yep. That's another way to look at
0: it. Wow. Hmm. You yeah, don't want to make light of it, but it's just like a very sort of, like it's just a get get somebody down very quickly and get them up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Generally, that thing's used for thick canopy, you know, thick tree cover.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what happened here, but one thing I, I pray is that, and again, it's a bad situation, but I hope that this doesn't result in any closure of that fire tower because that thing is like, Absolutely, like I love going up there. I think I've hiked Kearsarge North like three or four times, and I'd be absolutely devastated if they they shut that tower down over this. Well, you know, Red Hill Fire Tower
1: um, over in Moltenboro, I believe, or in that vicinity, they they close that one down. I mean, it's a sign that says it's closed. You can certainly skip over it and go up if you'd like, but um, yeah, who knows how it happened? Um, I would not attempt those stairs without spikes at this time of the year you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really, um, I mean, it is fenced, so I don't know what happened there, but, um, I can tell you that if you are looking for a great hike, like stomp, remember the time we went up there, like we saw the most unbelievable undercast that day. Oh yeah. It was, it was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, hope that this person's feeling better and you know, it sounds like a serious deal if they had to get the, the helicopter up that quickly.
1: Yeah. And Mike, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been adding some national and international stories, uh, not so much because we haven't had many events around here, but I think it's important to remember what's going on elsewhere in the world of search and rescue. It's absolutely amazing. There's stuff happening everywhere all the time. And some of these stories are pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. So this next one, you uh, from Wyndham, New York. So. Um, 77 year old hiker that, um, needed to be rescued the night of April 2nd into the morning of April 3rd. He, um, called forest rangers. I guess he was vomiting and unable to continue hiking. They made contact with, um, with the hiker, I guess, over the phone, but they, they were able to locate him, provide him with hot fluids and food and started a fire to warm him. So that's interesting. Um, Eventually, the hiker eventually recovered enough strength to continue, and rangers carried his pack and helped him out of the woods. So that's interesting. So they got a fire going. It looks like there was right. a pretty small crew that went out there to to, to to bring him back, but they were able to get him out by 2.30 in the morning. It doesn't say what time the call came in. Oh, 8.30 p.m., sorry. So it was about six hours to get him out after they lit a fire, got some warm liquid in him, and got him moving. Right. Have you ever been on a rescue where you had to light a fire?
1: No, thankfully.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: April 2nd, 2022, missing hiker was found dead after a two-week search. And what's really interesting about this story is his emaciated dog survived and never left his side. Um, that's a heck of a story. This person was <clears throat> missing for over two weeks and apparently was more like a uh, an urban L.A. park. Um, much like, say, Linwood's or something of that effect in, in Lynn, Massachusetts. He was a 29-year-old. He was reported missing on the 16th, and it was a fairly remote area, and his dog was named King. And uh dog certainly is a king. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this this story caught my eye because of all the cat stuff that people post, but we have to remember the dogs are very cool as well. Yep. Yeah. And uh, no immediate word on the cause of his death. And that's about all for that story. Mike, any update on your dog thing? Are you going to get a dog or what?
0: No, I don't know. You know, I had, um, we had, no, my wife will not let me get a dog, but I was excited because there's these these two basset hounds that that there's neighbors up the street that have basset hounds and they walk, they walk every night. And I'm always like, Oh, I want to meet the Basset Hounds and I was taking the ba- I was taking the trash barrels out yesterday and it was perfect timing. I saw the basset hounds go um, heading my way. So I was like, This'll be my chance to meet the basset hounds. So I got I slowed down and I was like fiddling with the barrels, waiting for the lady and her husband to come by with the two basset hounds and I was like, Oh, hey, how you doing? And then um I said to her, I was like, I love your dogs and then she that was my opening, so she let the dogs come over and pet me. So I told the basset hounds, I was like, You guys can poop oh, nice. in my yard if you want. You have permission. So I was very excited, but um and then I went and I told my wife, I was like, Oh, I met the basset hounds, I'm so excited. It'd be so nice to dog.
1: I might just like anonymously deliver (laughs) one to you guys. Just leave it on the front steps. Yeah.
0: Well, that's what I said. I'm like, I see all these stories about like people that live down south in like Mississippi and Louisiana, and they just seem to like, they're driving and they see a dog on the side of the road and they just pick it up and they keep it. But like, that doesn't happen up here. Like we find a dog on the side of the road and somebody will have a sweater on it and it'll be blasted all over Facebook and somebody will pick it up within a day or two. So... It just doesn't happen. But if anybody has a dog that they want to give away, like, message me. I'll tell you where I live. You can drop it in my front lawn, and I'll just tell my wife, like, <laughs> I found it. I
3: just keep it. And maybe the listeners could chime in on this. The thoughts around Mike's wife coming on an episode and interviewing Mike, I think would be— <laughs> I think that would be— Yes. That would be good. That's, That's a good
1: idea. Yeah. Do you know I'm still I, trying to get my wife— to come on and she will not come on
3: why don't you both do that on an episode
0: oh my god that's actually a really neat idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could do that <laughs> mrs mrs stomp and mrs mike co-host a show oh. and us, so
3: yeah your your listeners your listeners wanted they love you and want to know more about you
1: actually yeah mike will be the guests and they'll host the show <laughs> That would.
3: Be great. Oh, boy.
0: Oh, boy. I don't know. I talk a lot of shit on here that I probably don't. Can't back
2: up if she listens. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good stuff, but no. Uh,
1: well back to the search and rescue we have a couple more here I will just zip through these so this is Arizona so Saturday April 2nd four people were rescued in three separate incidents off of South Mountain and Phoenix Mountain Preserve on Saturday the Phoenix Fire Department said Um, so fire crews rescued two lost hikers Um, they found the two hikers using GPS off of their cell phones which is very cool so they must have got those pings and narrowed in on them. The woman was found in stable condition, but dehydrated. So I wonder what the um, the weather's like out there in this area. It's probably drier, a little bit warmer, because our next story goes up to Salt Lake City. And it's a whole separate ballgame. So two Utah hikers rescued amid dangerous snowy conditions. And this is April 4th. Salt Lake County, emergency crews rescued two stranded hikers over the weekend in a double rescue incident. Apparently, the first hiker was stranded near Ennis Park in Draper, and this person had left uh, Orson Smith Trail around 7 a.m. with the goal of summiting Ennis Peak. And apparently, it's about 4,000 vertical feet gained throughout the hike, and this person got lost at the summit during the descent and became extremely cold after navigating through deep snow fields.
0: Yeah, it's different out there. I mean, Arizona, de- I don't know so much about Utah and the, the the higher mountains there, but Arizona, I mean, in the Phoenix area, like it's ridiculously hot. We were out there, I was hiking. It's like if you do a 10 mile hike in the whites in the summer, you could probably handle yeah. like a four mile hike with very limited elevation in Arizona in that heat. It gets crazy out there. And then when you get into the northern part, like up by Flagstaff, and you get into that sort of high plateau, it does cool off a little bit. And then you've got some high peaks there where there's mo- there's like snow throughout the year. So it's it's sort of a crazy place. But I think in Arizona, for sure, like uh, um, dehydration is the biggest risk that you need to worry about. Gotcha. But I highly recommend, like if you ever get a chance to go out there, like Sedona, and then up to the Grand Canyon and that area is like amazing. There's so much good hiking out there too. Yeah. Now, as the
1: officials were bringing this person down, they received another call around 8.30 p.m. for a second hiker who needed help getting down as well. Uh, this location was Desolation Trail in Mill Creek Canyon. And this individual was not prepared for snow and did not bring a headlamp. Um, let's see. Apparently, this individual got out by 11:30 p.m. And the the article here goes on to say, experts say shoulder season is in full swing right now, which refers to the season where it's too cold to hike and still too snowy enough to ski. <laughs> I don't know. This this has been a very strange shoulder season up here um, in the Whites. Having gone out a few times over the last few days, I. Do not think we're going to see the monorail like we usually do.
0: Yeah, well, you're going to get hit with snow, I think, and then oh, not snow, but rain in the next couple of days. So I'm hoping that that'll that'll ice everything up. Although I will tell you, my friend Jonathan went up to uh, try to get yeah. up to uh, Gray Knob on the Adams. So he went up Lowe's Path, and he, he called me on like I think Wednesday or Thursday. He and normally we do this overnight on in Gray Knob. Which is another great thing to do if you're looking to do something over the summer. But he got probably about a half a mile below um, Grey Knob on Lowe's Path. And it was just so icy that he he just turned around. He's just like, it's not safe. So there's definitely more snow that, or ice that needs to melt. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So there's a couple yeah. other stories, but I think we'll wrap it there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. So Ty, you're a big Hollywood, uh, nope. big so congratulations.
3: <laughs> no, I'm um, nonsense. <laughs> a hard nope. That's so great. No, thank. That right. is a hard no. It's great. Yeah. All right. So, yeah.
0: So we'll keep oh, Stomp God. as the, as the local celebrity for us <laughs> yeah. and we'll, we'll stay behind the scenes. Um, but great, I mean, it's it's you know anything we can do to help with mental health, we'll definitely include in the show notes links that um, uh, that can ha- that people can use to to help if they have any issues, and you know we'll include some details about Infinite Storm. Um, we will also include um, some more details about those recommendations that you made, which are awesome. I definitely want to check out Squam, and um, you know as we move into the into the spring and summer season the search and rescue calls in new hampshire start to take an uptick i hope that everybody that's listening here sort of passes on um the knowledge about safety that we we try to impart on people and i also think that like if you're an experienced hiker and you're getting out there consider making sure that you've got gear that you can help out like pam did without having to call like for for a whole whole level of support so so that's it stomp anything else before we close No, thank you, Ty,
3: for joining us again. Thank you. It was a real pleasure to to be with you guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete
1: his most challenging day hike ever.
3: Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled
2: up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Oh! Lieutenant James Nealand, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.